Unashamed, the recovery podcast. Okay. <laughs> that was the nickname when I was little. 
So that's not your normal chapter one title. <laughs> and <laughs> I have to know. Yeah, I have to know. We're going to dive into this. I, I want to know too. So, so what does what does early childhood Christian look like? What 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 does that where does that start at? Because it sounds gay. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Pretty much. I was just a mess. Um, I was always busy. I was happy to be alive. My mom would say I was super happy. Um, but I was always going, going, going everywhere. So she just called me Taz, I guess, for that reason. Just <laughs> spinning out everywhere <laughs> from childhood. Um, I was actually very blunt and honest also when I was a child. Like something would happen and they'd say, who did this? And I'd be like, me, <laughs> shoot. Um, but um, as a childhood or in my childhood, I'd say <clears throat> um, some things happened when I was younger. Um, and I just, I lived in a broken home, I'd say like, um, a lot of people are what we would call normal nowadays, um, just my mom and my dad got divorced when I was about five, um, that might have been when Taz came along, um, running rampant, but, um. So, coming from that broken home came before you were five? Yeah, yeah. So, it's, it's so amazing out of all these stories that we get, Drew. It's always going back to something in childhood at an early age. Yeah. You know, but you know, we've talked about how that early trauma is what normally gears somebody up for some kind of desolate future. Um, but you know, it's always, it's always that, that comeback that does pretty great. Ladies and gentlemen, we just had the first ever on camera feature of, um, of the Mad Russian. <laughs> you know, hey, Joe Rogan has Jamie, and we've got the Mad Russian. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yes, so <laughs> getting back to it. So, broken on age yeah. five, kind of when Taz was born. So, <laughs> so. Take us off from there. No, I, I still have to know. Did you do the, the task thing where you, where you run around back? Did you do I don't it? think so. No? You would have to ask my mom that. I don't think so. <laughs> I am. <laughs> and I was, I was an outdoorsy girl, so I was always, I was kind of tomboyish too. So I was always up in the barns and the trees and the, so maybe that had part to do with it too. But <laughs> so, so where in all of that, got the broken home, you're, you've got all that early trauma, you're kind of pushing forward, but where does it all kind of start to go downhill for you? Um, it didn't really start to go downhill other than like that lying, cheating, abuse, um, my parents splitting up. My childhood wasn't really that bad. Um, I got good grades when I went to school. Um, I had done modeling for a while. <clears throat> I had friendships and everything, but it was eighth grade that um, I started experimenting with drinking <clears throat> and smoking uh, marijuana. And then it wasn't until after high school when I tried the harder drugs. Um, so all through high school, I'd skip and stuff, but um, I was mainly just drinking and smoking weed. Um, so, so, interesting fact though, 
fun, well, I wouldn't say fun fact, but crazy fact is, is um, you know, 82% of teenagers that start drinking in middle school end up becoming um, an addict in their adulthood. 82%. That's, that is outrageous. That, but you know, it's, that almost sounds made up. But it's not. I know that, that's that, that is a that, true fact. That number is so outrageous. It sounds made up. Eighty-two percent of kids who drink in middle school end up being future addicts later on in life. I believe it's a gateway. Yeah. And so it's legal to a certain age, you know. So. so and talk about that. Obviously, eighth grade. Eighth grade. So talk about that. They talk about seventh grade for me. So I, I can relate. <laughs> yeah. They talk about how marijuana is a gateway drug. Right. How alcohol is a gateway drug. Well, I was listening to another podcast and they were talking about how it's not necessarily that the marijuana is a gateway or the alcohol is a gateway. It's because you're drinking alcohol, so you're hanging around a crowd of people that are drinking alcohol in middle school. Yeah. And then when you start with the marijuana, well, then you're hanging around a different crowd that smokes marijuana in middle school. And then when you're in high school, you're hanging around some shady people who are doing, you know, the excess central stuff. Yeah. yeah. And it's the crowd <clears throat> that is, you know, it's the, that's where the problem is. It's, it's, it's a gateway to a different crowd. Yeah. Secondly, the people, places, and things yeah. matters. Big it's, time. Big you time. don't realize until later on, or I didn't, it took me a long time to realize that doesn't matter, but. Yeah, it most definitely matters. You know, Pastor Jim was talking about, you know, hey, Show me the five people that you're hanging around, and that's going to be your you're, you're going to be the sixth one. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, so enough of all that. We're talking about something we weren't talking about. I want to talk about something <laughs> that we haven't talked about. And that that's you. So high school, you're talking about how you're diving into some some different stuff in high school. But yeah. what kind of high school student? Where I mean, were you were you the typical uh, weed student? Like you know, you got that that student who's on marijuana. You know, they're Falling asleep in class, their grades are suffering. They're got a, you know, were you that top or were you the? Because there's some people who are but you an know, excellent student, functioning. Yeah. Yes, and they're but they're suffering. But they're behind the scenes. They're living the double life. Yeah. You know. So um, <clears throat> we've talked to like you know, and I know we're about to go into who we've talked to before, but several people, you know, their grades were awesome. But that was that double life. You know, yeah. if I can make my grades good, I can shield what I'm doing back here because yeah. nobody's going to worry about it. Nobody's yeah. going to worry about Looks me. Like you're doing okay. Yeah, you know, because that's what people were worried about the most. They're not really worried about your your mental well or mental right. well being or health at that point in time. They're just yeah. like, well, the grades good. Yeah. Oh, you're a great student, but you know, you don't know what's going on at home. Right. You so know? was that like that? What was for you? Or? Um, I yeah, I had the pretty good grades. Um, there's a couple classes I struggled in, but. <clears throat> which by the grace of God I passed because I struggled like mentally in school focusing and remembering and understanding um, so he definitely got me through that and that was something I was going to say too I wasn't raised in church um, didn't even know Jesus all through this time um, of childhood and high school but but my grades yeah they were all right and then the weed I was smoking it but I was still functioning I wasn't falling asleep I'd skip school to go smoke it but yeah I was functioning <laughs> on it so. Man, it is, it's insane that people, you know, kids in high school, you know, 
that's what I mean. This I mean, I can't say that. I mean, but it's the exposure that surprises me. You know, even for me, you know, going back to my days in high school, the exposure that the yeah. stuff that you know my parents knew nothing about at school. Yeah. You know, it was. I mean, there was coke. There was weed. Yeah. There was you know pills. It was all over the place. Everywhere. Yeah. Well, see, you know, but like, I want to take this to another step because uh, for me, you know, yeah, I drank in high school. Uh, that was the the ultimate. But for me, though, my I was skipping school to go and have sex. Yeah, I you know that, but that was from uh, the porn and sex addiction that I was already struggling with in high school. Right. So you know, y'all were skipping school to go and you know. Do. Different kind of high. Yeah, you, you were skipping <laughs> school to go you know, for weed, and you were doing coke. My God, you know, high school, yeah, you know, coke. But here I was, you know, for that. But it's a different high. Yeah, it's just the same. You're looking for the same thing. Yeah. But you know. But anyway, so, so, so let's get out of high school. I'm now. laughing because she, she got the giggles. Out of nowhere. She's probably thinking back to when I called her Katie. Yeah, probably so. <laughs> So, so let's go ahead and move, <laughs> let's move on along because the, the clock is ticking in. And uh, let's go ahead and move out of high school. You know, we, we, we kind of like to, to kind of center the story around high school and touch on it, but we don't want that to be the focus of the story. We want to move past that into, you know, what happened afterwards. So after high school, was there a college Katie? Oh, college Katie. Was there a college Kristen? There it is. There it is again. There it is. Yes, there was. was there ladies and gentlemen, Kristen? Not a college Kristen. Or was there? Or, ladies and gentlemen, he's going to get his eyes clawed out <laughs> on camera. Or did addiction take you down another path aside from that? It did. Um, but I ended up getting pregnant when I was, I think I was 22. Um, and that was when I started the harder drugs. Like I had dibble dabbled in a couple harder drugs before that, but I didn't get addicted to anything. <clears throat> um, so was this while you were pregnant or was this right before, after? Before, before at that you. time, yeah. I got pregnant um, when I was 22 and then my first son, he has a condition and the father of that son, he wasn't much help. Um, so I ended up taking uh, opiates because I had back issues from the epidural after I had him. <clears throat> and I had realized, you know, hey, it took the pain away and it gave me energy and I don't have any help over here. So so I ended up taking more and more. And of course I thought, you know, I wouldn't ever get super bad, but I did. So it went from opiates to just harder drugs and more and more and more. And the <clears throat> snowball effect. Yeah, eventually it was just whatever I could get my hands on whenever. So and did the opiate start out as a prescription? No, no, it was always, Street right. <laughs> so what's interesting though is like what we've heard from Shauna is so many opiate addictions start from that prescription. Yeah. So many people who are involved in a wreck, yeah. uh, surgery, yeah. they get that prescription, they get addicted to it, but they think that it's okay because hey, it's a prescription. Right. My doctor gave me this. Yeah. You know. So I, I, I wanted to, to clarify because you know that so many people are struggling with that. <laughs> <laughs> she said it was a street pharmacy. So, <laughs> right. <you know. laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, it led into other things. Um, and then I had my second son um, in 20, let's see, 2010 and then 2013. Um, and for him, I couldn't get off the drugs. My first son, I ended up getting sober for. Or I got, yeah, got sober for, so I was smoking weed, but 
and then my second son, I wasn't able to get off the opiates and the Adderall and just everything. Um, so when I had him, uh, he ended up having withdrawals in the hospital. And, yeah. and I was still so caught up in my addiction that <clears throat> I was still having my, my ex bring me painkillers and stuff in the hospital. Oh, wow. While I'm miserable because my son's miserable, it was just a very deep, hard place that I just felt very stuck. <laughs> very stuck. So that's when, yeah, I was deep in that addiction. Opiates and benzos were my drug of choice. So was that the deepest that you ever got inside that addiction? Was at that moment where you're in the hospital and you're still <clears throat> wanting it like that? Um, it wasn't my breaking point. <laughs> well, you know, it's always there's a moment where we get to the deepest, darkest place that we've ever gotten in our addiction. And we think that we're at our lowest. Right. But something will happen and we find ourselves we're much lower than we ever thought that we would go. Yeah. You know, we're, we're well beyond that low point of our lives. Right. right. We've gone, we've hit the bottom of rock bottom. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. 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 So. I definitely felt really I mean, low. the cycle to me is just like a, a, a tornado. If you think about it, it's downward spin. And it's destroying everything in its path that's it's yeah. doing. You know, it's just it's crazy. Yeah. And I didn't yeah. I didn't know there was a way out either. I thought that was it, you know? Yeah. I didn't think there was a way out of it. So I thought that was my life until I found Jesus. So <clears throat> you didn't think there was a way out of it. So did you think that you were alone in that? That that here I am, I'm the only person that's going through this, there's nobody else out there. Did that ever cross your mind? Um, I knew that other people were doing it just because they, I was doing it with them here and there, but I did feel alone in it. And especially like somebody had asked me, what what is one of the loneliest moments you've felt in your life? <clears throat> and it was when I had my second son and then I got pregnant again like two years later and that was a baby girl I was going to have. And I miscarried her and I had to have, a, I can't remember what they're called, where they go in with the needle and take a test. Um, and they had done that, so I don't know if I miscarried her because of that, because there's a one in so many chance that you could miscarry it or if it was because I still was on drugs. So, but <clears throat> I was so far along, I had to go and have, I had to go and have a DNC, I think they're called, and what they do for abortions, but they had to do one of those. And I had asked my baby daddy to go with me, but he was also on either heroin or opiates at the time, and he was nodding out so bad that I couldn't stand to look at him, so I told him to just leave. So I had to have that surgery done, and then when I woke up, I was all alone, and I had lost my baby. So I felt very, very alone in that time, but um, I had went through a session, and they had asked me to, you know, close my eyes and, and ask Jesus, where was he in that time? Because at that time, I still didn't know about Jesus, but after um, I gave my life to Jesus. I did this session and did that and he showed me that he was right there with me and that he had my baby girl and, and it gave me a peace. And also after I got sober and saved, he had showed me her in a dream and it gave me peace that she's, you know, okay, she's with him and everything's cool. But that was one of the loneliest times that I'd felt super just empty and alone. Man. Yep. But he was with me. <laughs> Uh, I'm just choke me up because I was just kind of like that. Uh, there's been very, very few moments where we're both of us with each other. Yes, yeah. that uh, man, that that is something that uh, I don't have any experience in. I'm sorry you went through that. 
and uh, that is something that uh, it wrecked me. That uh, there's no there's nothing that I can say about me. Cause, I mean, anything that I say about that is out of complete ignorance. I've never experienced that, and but that is something that for you to be sitting here today, that after ex going through that, that is just that that's a testament right there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I was going to name her, again, this is before I even knew about Jesus. I was going to name her JC. And after, you know, <laughs> the Lord showed me that, oh, wow. I started learning about Jesus. I was like, wow, Jesus Christ. Yeah. JC. Right. Like, That's so cool. He was with me. He's, he's always with us. He never leaves so us. So in a way, he was speaking, speaking yeah. to you through that. I believe so. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize it at the time. Because <clears throat> that looking back. So, mm -hmm. after that had happened. Mm -hmm. Did the did the light come on and you see you saw the air of your waves and you changed or no. did that <laughs> did that sink you further? Um, I kind of went further. I just switched drugs because <laughs> I was like I said on the opiates mainly, benzos, Adderall type stuff. And then at this time I started drinking heavier again and started doing cocaine and crack. And then that's when <clears throat> I got with. My husband, right now, who I'm actually going through a divorce with at this moment, I had gotten with him, and uh, he's from here, was there visiting, we got together, and then he ended up moving back here not long after we got together, and uh, I decided, because um, when I was doing the crack and the cocaine, that was when DCFS was called on, my, on me for my first two kids. They showed up at the house and I lost temporary custody of them. I still don't have custody of them um, till today or today. Um, my sister has temporary custody of them, but they're well taken care of. They're healthy, happy, stable. And I've still been kind of moving around, you know, so I'm thankful that they're still, you know, happy and taken care of now. But at that time, yeah, they came and um, took temporary custody of them. And then so my husband, he moved back here and I was like, you know, I'm gonna get my life on track. I said, I'm going to move there, I'm going to be with you, I'm going to get sober and get things figured out. And so I had tried to drive here drunk um, and my car broke down so I had to go back home. So I lost my car, I lost my job because I had called off that day. I had already lost the temporary custody of my kids and then I was about to lose my apartment when uh, I was like, i got to do something different. And that's when I tried to come here. I uh, sold enough stuff out of my apartment to get a train ticket. And I moved here, and it was like, you would think when you got on that train, that's what I got here on, on the train, but uh, that, that you would... like a country song. <laughs> <laughs> right? We already called this country earlier. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, they say you can still hear my northern in me, but I feel like I'm kind of country now. I hear the northern. Oh, I hear the northern. <laughs> Dang it. So what part? One day. <laughs> Up by Wisconsin, kind of. Wisconsin. Yeah, you, can, you really heard it then. <laughs> No, Wisconsin. From where? One more time. Up by Wisconsin. She tried to change it. <laughs> oh, goodness. She said Wisconsin. 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 It's the O's. Wisconsin. <laughs> but yeah, I felt the peace of Jesus, and I didn't even know that's what it was when I got on that train because I thought I was going to be a complete wreck leaving everything. I didn't even tell anybody. And I got on the train and I just felt a peace. Like Everything was going to be okay. I didn't know how, when, where. And I got here and sure enough, I had never tried meth. 
So when I got here, that's what I got on. <laughs> I broke up with Miguel, who's who I'm going through a divorce with right now. Um, I broke up with him and went out um, and started doing meth for about seven, eight months. And that's when I just lost what was left of me. Um, I didn't know the people I was running with because I wasn't even from here. So I didn't know if I was going to eat, live, sleep, where, who I was with, anything. And I got to a point where I didn't care either yeah. because I had just lost everything that meant something to me. Um, yeah. But little did I know I lost everything that I loved and meant something to me to find Jesus and everything that truly matters. So it works out. It works all things out for the good of those who love well, and are called. But sometimes you've got to empty the bottle to get fresh water for you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, you could have brackish water in that bottle all day and drink it from it. It's disgusting. Right. Right? <laughs> but if you want fresh water, you got to pour it out. Yeah. You know, so God was probably separating. For sure. Everything that you did not need, you yeah. know, as far as, you know, <clears throat> the people you were around. Heck, even the car. He's you know? still been doing that. Yeah. <laughs> it's, but been. it's like we had the episode on pruning. <laughs> yeah. You know, so it's a pruning process. Yes. It's just taking these things so you can grow and just snipping it off of you. Yep. You know, so you can grow to be fruitful. Exactly. And bear fruit. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> you know, sometimes, you know, we think that what we're going through is punishment. Yeah. Because of our sin. But, you know, it's not necessarily punishment. Sometimes it's just the, the pruning mm -hmm. to get us to the place that we're supposed to be at. Right. That so, trusting, trusting his way. <laughs> yes, most definitely. So, all of that happened. Mm -hmm. Out there, you done worked your way up to meth, correct? Yep. Whew. Yep. I stood in front of guns. I had guns held at me. I just didn't care anymore. <laughs> so, yep. the meth, was that enough? When you, when you open up your eyes one morning, you're like, man, I'm... I finally worked my way to meth. Was that what did it for? Like, hey, I, I need to, I need to get some help. Was that, was that the, was that the moment, or, or were we still out there? Well, for me, I felt like I had just lost. I did lose everything, and it was like the drugs didn't even matter to me anymore. Like I was out there with the meth, but I wasn't trying to get it. I wasn't asking for it. Like people would give it to me, but I, I wasn't even seeking it. Anymore, because I just I was like dead. <laughs> right. I was numb. I didn't care about nothing at that time. And in fact, I had asked somebody. I had felt so dead, and like I was in hell. That I had asked them, did I die and go to hell? Like I thought maybe I didn't even make it on that train um, here. Um, so I just felt like I was in hell. And uh, so eventually, after that eight months, I was staying at a place and. When I was on the meth, the Lord would reveal himself to me. I still didn't know him. Um, I hadn't given my life to him or anything. And he kept revealing himself to me through, because I'd be snooping through stuff or see pictures and stuff. And it was like his face would stick with me or these people's notes would stick with me. Certain things would just stick with my spirit. He kept leading me to churches. And I didn't know. I didn't have a clue what was going on until after. But after that, like eight months of doing meth. Um, I had nowhere to go. The people kicked me out of the house that I was staying in because the one person went to jail. And uh, so I was in Clinton and I just had nowhere to go. I had like $5. I didn't know where I was at at the time. I didn't know who to call. So the police came and they 
asked for my ID and I gave it to him and the police officer ran it and he was like, nothing's coming up. It's like, you don't even exist. And I just felt like that was totally what I felt like right now. Like I didn't even exist. Like, who am I? What am I even here for? What is, I didn't know what was going on. But so I went to the police station and after that, I had been like two days sober when that happened with the cop, just sleeping on the people's couch. And uh, after that, it was like the Lord just completely delivered me from all of it. Like he completely took the desire out of me and away from me. And after that, I never picked up another drug. And that was June of 2016. <laughs> so this June, I'll be six years. So it was like I hit rock bottom, but I didn't go to a rehab. I didn't do Celebrate Recovery yet. Um, I did check myself into a rehab at one time, but I checked myself back out after a week. It snuck Xanax, Xanax in with me, so he knew I wasn't ready. But, but yeah, so it was like that just the Lord getting me out of those people, places, and things, and I was ready. Like, I wanted out of that so bad, I just had no idea there was a way out. But he was showing you, to yeah. me, he was showing you there was another yes. way. Even though you weren't ready, you know, you said yes. you were sinking the Xanax in, but even though you weren't ready, yeah. he was he was preparing a place. Yes, you know? amen. Um, and that's that's what I love about Psalms 23, is I will prepare a table for you before your enemies, you know, or with your enemies. That's not Psalm 23. Yes, it is. Psalm 23 is Lord, the Lord, the Lord's my shepherd. What's the end of it? He prepares the table. It's mm. the second time you've done that to me. <laughs> Pull up Psalm 23. <laughs> right? Pull it up. Right. We ain't got time for you. <laughs> we'll, we'll pull up in the post. And we'll put it on the screen. Yeah, we will reference this. We'll, we'll, we'll pull up in the post. Psalm 23. That's the second time you've done that. And I'm, I'm right. You hear me? I'm right. <laughs> Mark that one down, Drew's right. Uh, May the 7th, that's 729, Drew's right. Most of the time I'm just talking. Yes. I can relate to your story so much. Um, only because I ended up doing something I said I would never do, and that was shooting up now. Yeah. Um, I ended up living in an abandoned house. I knew yeah. water, but you know, I was hanging around these people I thought cared so much about me, mm -hmm. you know, but what they cared about was getting high. That was it, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And my connects to the next person and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it was it was outrageous, you know. It's a completely, it's an insane lifestyle, yeah. you know. You're thinking the next morning, well, I'll stop. I don't really need it today. And the next thing you know, your eyes are kite again, right? You know, and you're out just staring at stuff, yeah. you know, whether it be yes. I'm, I'm For sure. I am dead serious. I know, dude. I, like, I know. like I've, I've seen people. Like I've heard the story. I was of people. awful on it. Like I would live together in Walmart, stand there for six hours. <laughs> that same that was it. You know, that's the stories I've heard is people in Walmart who's been there for like just hours. Oh yeah, that was big time. But you know, I had nowhere else to go. Right. You know, and that, that would be my my chill spot. That would be me being around other people. It's I'll crazy. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, get me away from you. <laughs> Eventually, it got that bad to where I was just like, I couldn't. You know? Yeah. And so that's why I just caved myself in that abandoned house. You know, uh, yeah. I had no water, no power, no food. Just whatever I could scrape up yeah. at some point yeah. in time, but yeah, the I know. rats living in there. <laughs> <laughs> I named him Fightful. <laughs> Dead serious. I'm getting the biggest uh, picture of like uh, Encanto and your Bruno living in the walls with the rats, and, and you're doing the soap opera little cards with the with the rats. God is so good. That's all I have to say. Yes, definitely, Man. definitely. 
So, you have come back in, you, you found your way to the police station, you've got the two days sober on your own. And that is remarkable in itself because not, so, not many people outside of a necessary force like uh, rehab or you know IOP or anything like that, yeah. not a lot of people have willpower on their own inside active addiction to go and get you know two days sober. So that is remarkable. So after that, you know, where where does the story go from there? Um, after that, I went ahead and my sister had sent money to get a bus ticket back home. But when I got there, I had burnt so many bridges and they had, you know, moved on with their schedules and stuff that it wasn't working out with me staying anywhere. So I moved to Wisconsin and um, a man there was growing weed and even though I wasn't smoking it, I still stayed sober. Um, I told him that I would stay there and help him grow it to live there because I had nowhere else to go. So I did that for like seven months. Um, and how hard was that? How hard was it to live there, grow in the weed, and stay sober? How hard was that? For me, um, I just thought weed was really pretty. Um, <laughs> so it wasn't that hard for me because I still got to see how pretty it was. But um, So was it the color or the shape? It was the color. <laughs> so, but, so it wasn't that hard for me. Okay. And it was just really, the, the Lord really just uprooted all of that out of me even that but we I'd get paranoid on it so for that that wasn't really my drug of choice even though I smoked it that was more of a social thing in high school I think um, so I'm glad you brought that up so out of all of what you had talked about what is your drug of choice what would you say was your um, go-to it was opiates and benzos okay. yeah. and you know it's amazing with people who you see that they were on alcohol and that was their drug of choice and then when they got that taste of the opiates that was a drug choice like it's yeah that is very very common like and that's very surprising to me because so many people want to say well once alcoholic always alcoholic that that's your but <clears> so <throat> many people make that progression and it's odd so you're up there you're growing weed eventually you got to come back to Mississippi because if not we wouldn't be here today <laughs> right so when you get back to Mississippi what does sobriety recovery look like? Um, well, I had ended up getting back with Miguel at that time and um, got pregnant with my son, Liam. He's still with me. He's just turned five. Um, so I do have my one son with me. And then <clears throat> um, Miguel had to finish up jail time, so he went back in. And uh, during that time, is when I started going to church. Um, the whole time in Wisconsin, I was reading the Bible, reading, 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 because Jesus was so new to me and fresh, and he's still amazing. I still love Jesus and the Bible. I read, 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 love him. But, um, so I, I was doing that to help me stay sober also. And when I got here, and he went back to do his time, and I started going to church, and um, he was in the trustee program, so he was allowed to go to the Point Church. Um, at that time, so the point was doing the celebrate recovery um, on Monday nights, which they still do. <clears throat> so that's how I got kind of introduced to celebrate recovery. And even though I had already been 
I was like probably two years clean already at that time, but still it's for her hang-ups and habits, and I show had those, have those. So, you know, I started going to that, and I graduated that, and um, still continue to go. Um, it's such a great program. So I, I do that, and uh, that's how I got introduced to Celebrate Recovery. Awesome. And I want to take just a moment, and I want to shout out the point, and Brandon, and Pastor Jim, I want you to allow Palmer and the guys at Given Grace to use pyrotechnics for their concert and their worship because they deserve it. Palmer, you're welcome. I love you guys. Yes. Anyway, <laughs> getting back to it. So yes, so Celebrate Recovery, you know, me and Drew, we are living examples of Celebrate Recovery. We love it. And, you know, it's just by coincidence that that's where your journey wound up. But I love your journey because it's not your typical, like, so many people do not find sobriety on their own, right. especially while they're in active addiction. And I love that that yours was just a matter of, for lack of a better word, willpower. Would you was, was that kind of? Yeah. Like, it was just it was this willpower. Ready. Yeah. That wanting it. So many people never get there on their own. Like there's there's usually rehab. Or, you know, I already touched base on that, but that that's just amazing. So, so. You've got to celebrate recovery. So, is that what you're currently doing now to to continue in your recovery journey and to stay sober? Was there something else that you're adding into that for your for your 12 step? Um, it's mainly celebrate recovery and just going to church Wednesday, Sunday. Um, not putting myself into those people, places, or things that could cause the relapse. Um, that's important. That's huge. And just really, huge. really, really seeking Jesus. Like I said, I'm going through a divorce right now and that <clears throat> started about eight months ago and that was another one of my darkest places. And uh, just seeking Jesus and his presence is is key for me. Like some people, they'll end up going back out onto drugs when those super hard times hit. But me, I'm like, I gotta dig in deeper to the Lord because he's truly what's keeping me Sober, insane, and um, he's the only one who can deliver me out of those areas. And I love that you touched on that because so many people, myself included, when I go through a deep, dark time, I want to white knuckle it myself. And I was like, I'm going to get myself through this. Mm -hmm. you know, I'm not going to bother God with this. I'm not going to dig deeper. I'm going to do it. Yeah. And I think we get into this place where we uh, kind of get this wrong idea about grace you know if grace was enough to for your salvation then grace is enough to keep you going through every trial and every temptation that you'll ever go through but we don't get that we want to lighten up with ourselves and do it ourselves and that's a great lesson to pick up from this is stop trying to do it your own and stop stop trying to do it yourself Trusting God, leaning to God more, depend on Him in those situations. I, that's, I love that. That, that. That's so great. Um, I think you're probably one of the first people that has come on here in your testimony and has said that. And I think that's so important for people new in faith recovery to uh, to really see that in action. That's what we're getting here. So, uh, as we wrap up, like we always do, I've got some questions for you. You're on the spot. Okay. So, <laughs> I feel like I've been on the spot. 
But so, you know, first of all, I just want to just say, you know, that I'm so, uh, I'm so proud that you have come on here and you have shared with us because, you know, to go from that childhood trauma and going into, you know, the myth and all that, to go from that into where you're at today, that is where the hope is. Yeah. And you're truly a, a lighthouse for people who are still in the darkness of addiction. And I just, um, I want to congratulate you on that because that is so awesome and I'm proud of you. you. Uh, and, uh, you know, as I ask you these questions, you know, try to, try to think of the person out there listening as you answer these. So number one, what is the biggest thing that you have taken from your story? What are some lessons learned? Um, some lessons learned. Um, don't give up. If you've got to crawl into your next moment, then crawl, but don't give up. Because I wanted to give up when this divorce started. <clears throat> I just wanted to crawl in a hole for a little while. And, you know, don't give up. Just keep trusting that the Lord's got better for you and he's going to deliver you out of it. And um, he will. Just keep, you know, putting that foot right after another. Most definitely. Man, <laughs> yeah, that's good advice. <laughs> Write that one down, guys. <laughs> So number two, what would you tell somebody that's going through the same thing that you came out of? Mm, there is hope, and the Lord's got a plan and a purpose for you. Um, where you're at isn't the end, and again, if you just keep hanging on. One day at a time, one moment at a time. Most good. Um, Man. Yeah. One day at a time. Yes. <laughs> you know, that's, that's all we got. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, I, tell, I tell my guys, 24 hours is the record for sobriety. It has never been broken, only tied. Yeah. And so that's all we got, one day at a time. Man. Yeah. And the enemy, I think, wants us to be anxious about the future and depressed on the past. So if you just stay in the moment, that one moment at a time. Yep, most definitely. Man, good stuff. <laughs> so number three, what impact do you think that the old you has on the current you? What impact? I would say a big one because I don't want to be that girl. <laughs> so yep. it's a... A person I don't want to be, but I've learned from. Yeah. Well, with me, I cannot stand my past. Like, I hate the person that I was. Yeah. But I have to embrace the person that I was because the person that I was is what led me to the person I am today. Amen. And so, yeah. you know, we get to that point where we want to, to go back and change the past and change the old to us, but, you know. It will change us today. Yeah. yeah. So, all right. I agree. Number four, and this is the big one. <laughs> Drum roll, please. They won't be big. So, once again, thank you for coming by and sharing your incredible story. And as a thanks for your willingness to be so open and vulnerable in an effort to to be unashamed of your story. And I know that's not always an easy thing to do. We want to show our appreciation. I want to give you just a few moments of an open mic. Our show is your show, and if you had the opportunity right now to say anything that you want to say 
in an effort to reach that one person who may be listening that needs to hear what you have to say? Um, I feel like I might kind of repeat with these last questions, but uh, again, just don't lose your hope because I, I've been in those places where it's just complete darkness and you don't think you're ever going to make it out or that that's just it, you're stuck. Um, but that's not it. You were created for a bigger purpose and the Lord is with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. And if you just reach out to him, call out to him, ask him to help you, to lead you, to guide you, he will. Um, he loves us so much and he doesn't want his children hurting and stuck in those dark places. So he wants to free you. And the Celebrate Recoveries, that's just another place to go and get extra freedom, more freedom. You know, like the Lord delivered me from the drugs, but then I had to get delivered from all these other things. So just seek these places that are going to uplift you and encourage you. People are really, truly going to care about you, unlike the streets um, that just keep your head up, that you're loved, even when you don't feel like it. Um, and, oh, well, I guess that's about it. <laughs> if I can do it, you can do it, shoot. <laughs> and Jesus will leave the 99 for you, because he did for me. <laughs> and that's all the time we've got for today's show, everybody. We appreciate you tuning in and listening once again to us. Uh, you know, you can always find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We're on TikTok because we're trendy like that. Uh, but if you want to email us and ask us a question, if you want to uh, maybe recommend somebody that we need to speak to, interview, or if you want to recommend a topic, if you want to tell us how great or how bad we're doing, we want to hear that too. You can email us at the at unashamedpodcast at yahoo.com. Unashamedpodcast at yahoo.com. And, Krista, if somebody wants to message you and maybe get you to come and speak at their recovery group or if they want to get you to come and speak on their recovery podcast, what is a great way that they can email you? Um, my email is going to be my name, Kristen Burgess, K-R-I-S-T-E-N-B-U-R-G-E-S-S-3 at iCloud.com. Awesome. And that's going to be on the screen for you. We'll have that in the show notes. And, yeah, and that's all the time we got to, for today. And until next time... Remember to be unashamed. Stay clean.